Tonight's reading is 1 Chronicles chapter 29, which can be found on page 433 of the Red Bibles in front of you. So it's 1 Chronicles 29. In our passage tonight, King David is gathering resources for his son Solomon to build the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise stones of various colours, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this temple. 3,000 talents of gold, God of offer, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the building, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who, will, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave towards the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 dacres of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who has precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight as we were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with the integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. 
And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our father Abraham, Isaac and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and ever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the King. If you'd like to um, keep your mind settled on that passage, we're going to charge around the scriptures somewhat this evening, but that passage forms the core of what we're going to say. And, and just as a point of interest, all those talents and derricks and that they're meaningless to us in BH this evening, unless we've got some experts in uh, ancient Hebrew wealth and stuff, but they're phenomenal sums of money and of gold. Just, just scroll down, as it were, in your page to the, to the footnotes at the bottom. And then they become a bit more legible that the, the amount of gold that gave, that, that, um, David gave was a hundred metric tons of gold and the silver was 240 metric tons of gold and the people gave metric tons of gold and silver. These are huge amounts that they gave. The inter- and I did it, I went on the internet as you do and googled current worth of gold and worked out the, the, the worth today of these amounts of gold. David's gift from his personal store, not from the national treasures, but from his personal store, 100 tons of gold, today's current value, 25 billion pounds. 240 tons of silver, just a a mere 93 million pounds. The gift of the leaders, 170 tons of gold, 42 billion pounds. The gift of the leaders, silver, 133 million pounds. Total giving, give or take a few million, 68 billion pounds. How glorious was that temple of God? And how amazing that David, at the end of his lovely prayer, says, who am I and who are we to be able to do this for you, O Lord? Who am I? He was the mighty king like there's never been a king before him. He defeated everybody. But David, in his humility, bows before the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the patriarchs. And so are we going to do that this evening. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we worship you, as did King David all those thousands of years ago. We turn our thoughts, our hearts, to the living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of all the apostles and the prophets and the giants of the faith down through the centuries, the God who loves us here this evening. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to the truth contained in your word, we pray. Grant us an understanding that is beyond comprehension. Help us to see something of your generosity to us, and then then we will be free to be generous to others. Amen. So keep that passage in your minds, and I'll just give you a bit of a flavor as to where we're going. I, I, I zoomed around the scriptures in my study 
and went to various key passages in the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, that deal with generosity, because that's our theme. Our theme this evening is principles of being generous. And, and so I, I zoomed around the scriptures and found various passages, which, some of which we'll go to this evening. But this, this key passage in Chronicles just kind of sums it up. And there are two key principles that came out again and again and again. When you're preparing a sermon, it's great when things shout out to you. And sometimes it's quite nice to have three points or three things, but just two shouted very loudly to me. And, and it was this gratitude and attitude. They're the two principles that, that just are in all these passages. And when we talk about the generosity of us in, in, in giving to God, it's gratitude and attitude that, that, that bring them together. So, so two principles to hang things on. You can go home on this hot evening and remember the two principles, gratitude and attitude. They even sound the same. So that's where we're going to go this evening together, looking at various parts of Scripture. And, and just to give you an illustration to kind of bring this together too, hopefully this will help. As, as, a, as a young boy, I lived in a little village called Nipersley, spelt with a K, of all things, in North Staffordshire. And, and Nipersley was a very sweet little village right on the edge of the Pennines, but also on the edge of the Potteries. So the industry wasn't far away, and neither was countryside. And, and I don't know, growing up in the 50s and 60s, life was just so much easier and so freezed. You went off for a day, nobody bothered about you, no phone to ring you, where are you, or anything like that. We just seemed to go for a day and disappear. And, and near where we lived... In, in this village of Nipersley was a great big lake called Nipersley Pool. And Nipersley Pool was a reservoir built in the 1800s to, to, to feed the various canals that were round about there. And Nipersley Pool was the attraction of all young boys. We were just there. It was the place we could climb the trees. We could do all the things we shouldn't do. And right at the end of Nipersley Pool, because it was a man-made structure, was a massive great waterfall. Attracted boys like seagulls to a sewage pipe. We were there in this, in this, is a man built a great big like curved edge to it. And it had a curved bowl. It must have been about 60 to 80, maybe 100 foot high. It was really high. And then the water just thundered over. The overflow of, of this thundered down into a stream. And it was just, it was so lovely. And in the summer, it dried up and you could stand right on the edge of the waterfall and look over like that. And for us boys used to do that, stand on the edge. And not only did we look over, I shouldn't tell you this, but we also weed over the edge as well <laughs> to see who could get the farthest without touching the bottom. So, but what I want to say is that that's what little boys did in the 1950s and 60s, <laughs> is that Nipersley Pool, this big reservoir, fed this waterfall the waterfall flowed over to the edge and fed what was a, 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 a biggest stream at the bottom. That stream at the bottom is actually the head of the River Trent. The River Trent is the third largest river in England. So the, the, the River Trent that went on down to all these places, Stoke-on-Trent, Burton-on-Trent, Newark-on-Trent, was fed by this res reservoir waterfall coming over and then going off into this stream. And, and the picture that I want to give you is that is that gratitude is that waterfall. Gratitude in, in our hearts is the overflow of what God has done for us. The, the, the Nipersley Pool, the reservoir, is the love of God 
shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This love enters us. And when we come to understand and realize what God has done, then it overflows and it overflows a reservoir. An attitude is is the river that flows its way through various cities and towns and provides industry for that. Our attitude takes the love of God, takes the generous love of God into our lives. It just does that. It's what happens when we're filled with the love of God. So that's the illustration. Hopefully it will give you an idea of where we're going to go. The love of God poured into our hearts, overflowing. And it overflows through gratitude. Gratitude is the reservoir. David's prayer in um, 1 Chronicles 29 was was the sweetest prayer. Did you pick that up? Did you see the gratitude in it? David could stand there and say, Trump-like, look at me. Aren't I brilliant? I'm, I'm the best king that's ever been. I'm the richest king. I can afford to give billions of pounds to the construction of the temple here you go Solomon here you go but David there was a real humility David was full of gratitude as he was in his heart for what God had done David could look back over a lifetime of knowing God and the Psalms are that rich treasury of of David taking us into his heart and we can see the gratitude we can almost see the waterfall outpouring through the Psalms of David's gratitude to God and that's been a blessing to the church that river down through the centuries the millennia hasn't it how many of us are blessed by the Psalms of King David I love Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 is, is, is like the, the, the turnover. The Apostle Paul has been climbing this mountain of doctrine, just extolling the wonders of what God has done and explaining it. And in Romans chapter 12, he turns around and says, Therefore, in the light of all this, in the light of what God has done, this is how you should live. And then part of this is how you should live. It is fascinating, really. Paul said, in the light of all this, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in other words, of all that God has done, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship is the offering of ourselves to God, holy and totally. And then he gives us a list of of what are the good things to do, what pleases God. And then in, in verse 8, he said, if it's encouraging, then encourage If it's contributing to the needs of others, then do so generously. Give generously. Then in in verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, In the light of all that God has done for us, share with God's people who are in need. This is what happens. This is the generosity working out. We turn from the mountaintop uh, of Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 11, really. Paul gets to the top and then he turns around and there's this lovely doxology at the end of chapter 11. And he says, oh, the, the riches of the mercy of God. So gratitude, gratitude in the light of all that God has done for us and in us through Christ Jesus. This is how we respond. This is our worship. It's a worship of gratitude. Gratitude in our hearts. This is where gratitude starts from. It comes out of our hearts and flows out. And it goes through our minds because attitude is our mind. So it comes from our hearts, through our minds, out into the world. And so that's gratitude. Gratitude is something that fills our hearts. And and our generosity must 
come from gratitude. It should be just there. In the light of all that God has done for us, then the gratitude should be there. It should flow like the, 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 the waterfall that flowed out of Nipersley Pool. So first of all, gratitude. Secondly, attitude. And we, kids have attitude. Teenagers have attitude, don't they? But we're talking here of a different kind of attitude. Little girls sometimes say, oh, she's got real attitude, that little girl, doesn't she? Or with your grandchildren, whatever. But the attitude we're talking here is, is, a, is a generous attitude, an attitude of the heart, a glorious attitude. And the, the, the attitude that we have towards generous giving lifts it into the realm of worship. It lifts it into the spiritual realm. It lifts it into the eternal realm. We see in 1 Chronicles there, David, I don't know whether you noticed the, the number of times he willingly gave, the people willingly gave, they wholeheartedly gave, they generously gave. There is this real attitude, of a positive attitude towards giving generously. It was not, oh no, I've been, my, my wallet's been raided again. There was a real joy in giving. And, and as I've been digging into the scriptures, looking at the, 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 this, these principles of generosity, what you come across is that Christians are having to be held back from giving. They want to give so much, so much as God done, done for us. There's a lovely passage in Exodus chapter 35 and 36, when again, they're gathering resources from the tabernacle. And, and again, the people gave generously. God said to Moses, tell the, tell the people to, to, to give their stuff. Give gold, give silver, give scarlet thread, blue thread, yarn, and all kinds of stuff, precious jewels. And the, and the people didn't say, oh, no, we just brought all that from Egypt. We want to keep it for ourselves. They gave generously. And right at the end of chapter 36, Moses, it says, had to give an order to stop. Here, I'll just read it to you because it's so wonderful. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what, the, because what they had already was more than enough to do all the work. Such is the generosity of the people. Such was their attitude. They had to be stopped from giving. Another key passage is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, where Paul is collecting the offering for the Jerusalem poor. And the, the Corinthian believers have been a bit reluctant to cut. They've been a bit slow in getting this gift together. And, and Paul just reminds them of their generous offer and, and suggests ways of, of bringing that together. And... Um, and in, that, in those chapters, we see this attitude being worked out in words like generous, willingness, eagerness, enthusiasm, cheerfulness. And this is all to do with giving, with giving generously. So attitude is what the Bible majors on to do with giving. It really matters as to our attitude. Some of us might say, well, Philip, to be quite honest, I, I don't have that attitude. It's just, it's not there yet, or it's not there. Then the Bible teaches, then it, if that attitude isn't there, then, then don't give. Attitude has got to come from, a, from the gratitude of a heart, from the overflowing, because that's the spiritual worship that God seeks from his children. God loves a cheerful giver. That beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians, that passage on love. If I give all that I possess to the poor, but I have not love, then I gain nothing. 
So, so God loves a cheerful giver. We give willingly. We don't give grudgingly, nor do we give to boast. Look at me. Aren't I wonderful? Look how much I have given. In 2 Corinthians 8, 4, they urgently pleaded with us, the Macedonians, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Paul didn't have to urgently plead with them. They urgently pleaded with Paul. It's like, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? What? They had to plead with Paul. Please let us take part in this giving for the saints. It's such a joy. It's such a pleasure to give. So that's the gratitude. That's the attitude. They are the two points that we need to hang these things on. It's very hot tonight, isn't it? Are you all right? Are you, are you still with me so far? Good. Yeah, there's some. That's okay. Good. Not Shake your heads if you're not, because these are such important things. And, and if we miss them, it's so sad because here is a gateway to joy. Here is a gateway to knowing more of God. These are eternal things we're dealing with here. They, so hang on in there, okay? How can we apply this? How can we, this evening, apply this to us? Let me give you some practical principles. It's on our little sheet at the back. How can we practically learn this, this, this giving, this gratitude and this attitude? First of all, I've put, know God. King David, in here in Chronicles, King David knew God. He knew God very, very well. The Psalms again reveal that. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 27. I love it. And here is David extolling the wonder of God. And yet God, I mean, David in all his riches, when he says, one thing I desire, it's not to be having a greater kingdom. It's not to be victorious amongst all these Philistines and, 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 and so on. But David's one desire was to, was to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to dwell in his presence. This is what David said. One thing I desire. To dwell in your presence. To gaze upon your beauty. David knew God. The Psalms ooze that. The Psalms are wonderful. The Apostle Paul knew God. This hard-nosed Pharisee. He knew God. He came to know God through Jesus Christ. It knocked his Pharisaical socks off. It must have humbled him. All that he did, all his persecution with the church, then he came to know the love of God through Jesus Christ. He gave himself wholeheartedly to the gospel of Christ. And he must have seen the funny side that he was appointed as a, as a, as a preacher to the Gentiles. Those whom he hated with a vengeance, he loved with the love of God. So Paul knew God, David knew God, the Philippians knew God, they knew him well, they gave out of their generosity. And I'm talking here of knowing God in its fullest sense, knowing God theologically, knowing about him, reading the scriptures, reading the books and so on, but knowing God experientially too. Knowing God theologically can be a bit dry, a bit dull, it doesn't fill the reservoir, but knowing God spiritually by his spirit that just fills the reservoir. That just, that's the wonderful thing. Knowing God and having him know us and resting in that. He knows me. He knows all about me. He knows when I stand up and sit down. He knows my fears, my worries. He knows everything. He knows when I sin. Nothing in all creation is hidden from the sight of God. To us believers, that's great. We don't want to hide stuff. And when we do, we, we, we want him to know because we want him to sort us out again. So we need to know God. We come to know God through faith 
in Jesus Christ. It's the one little doorway that we come through. Through faith, through repentance of our sins and faith in Christ, we come to know God. Do you know God in that way? Do you know God experientially, theologically? I'm losing my my um, microphone here. I've never been on good terms with technology, but uh, I'll do my best. So do you know God in that way? It's, it's a living fellowship with the living God. Hopefully you some nods. Yes, we know him. Many of you older folks, I've known him all my life. It's the sweetest thing to know God. Youngsters, do you know God? Do you know God in this way? Do you know him experientially, theologically? Well, theologically, you won't know him completely just yet. I'm just like in the shallows, and I've been studying him for years. But the more you know, the more wonderful he is. Being indwelt by the living God, by his spirit, is the most wonderful thing. It really is a reservoir of goodness and grace. Giving is no no sweat. It's not difficult. The better we know him, the closer the walk, the greater will be the gratitude and the sweeter will be the attitude when we know God. So David, turning to Solomon, his son, didn't say, Solomon, here you are. Here's this vast amount of money. Do your worst, mate. No, David didn't do that. David, in the chapter before, turns to Solomon and says the most wonderful thing that any father would like to say to his son. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because it captures it. So David turns to Solomon in 28 verse 9 and he says, Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors. Learn to know him intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. That's what David said to his son Solomon. That's what I urge you this evening. Seek the Lord. If you seek him, you will find him. It's the promise of scripture. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will open. Maybe some of you are saying, Phil, I've been seeking the Lord. I just haven't found him yet. I've been seeking him for a long time. I know what you're talking about and I really want that. Then can I urge you this evening, keep on seeking until you do find him. Keep on knocking until the door is opened. And when he does, then you will rejoice in the goodness and glory of God. So first thing, first principle that practically we can put in our lives, know God, get to know God, walk with God in fellowship with him. Secondly, these are obvious, these are old school things. Know the scriptures, know the Bible, get to know it well. Here you will find teaching on the mechanics of giving. Well, how much should I give? When should I give? The principles of giving. As you get to know the scriptures, all these things are there. You will find them, the mechanics of Christian giving, the dynamics of Christian giving. It's all in the scriptures. By knowing the Bible, you'll recognize the errors to prosperity gospel. When somebody talks about it, it sounds so right. But actually, as Phil said the other day, it's a poison. The prosperity gospel is a poison that will poison your heart. We must stand against it. We don't give that we might get. We give out of worship. We give out of the fullness that God has given to us. Now, if God gives us back in return, which he will, then we thank him for that. But we do not give to get. The dangers of giving grudgingly are brought out in the scriptures. The dangers of giving from an unwilling spirit, they're very serious 
in the kingdom. We don't, we don't hardly bat an eyelid. Oh, well, I couldn't be bothered really, but I just put some money in the offering. It really matters the spirit and the manner, the attitude in which we give to the Lord. We learn not to give pearls to the pigs. We were very careful about how we give. We don't hear a sermon and say, all oh, right, I'll go out on Monday morning and get my bank balance and just what comes up first, I'll give to that. No, the scriptures tell us to give thoughtfully, carefully, prayerfully. The people in, in, in the tabernacle times, God prompted their hearts to give. It's the most exciting thing when God prompts your heart to give and you respond to that. There's just something otherworldly about it. You're entering the eternal realm. It's such a joy to give. Is God prompting you to, to, to give in some way? Then respond in thankfulness to God. Maybe God's laid somebody on your heart. I'm not going to mention any names here, but because that would be cruel of me to do that. But maybe God has, and you're thinking about it. Then keep praying and, and obey God's prompt, and the joys will be yours. Know the scriptures, and they'll teach you about this, and they'll teach you how to do it. The example of the Philippians giving in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the collection and administration in 2 Corinthians. They're key passages. There's plenty there. Phil will point you in the right direction if you're not sure where to go on these things. So know God, know the scriptures, and you will be generous. Knowing God leads to gratitude. Knowing the Bible gives us the right attitude. So to conclude, in the light of all that we learnt this evening... Let us, here, 21st century UK Britain, South Coast, Hove, the congregation, the evening congregation of Bishop Hannington, known to God, loved by God. In the light of we've learnt this evening, let us be generous. Let us let the love of God flow through us in rich generosity to our brothers and sisters. We're here, gathered, looking at one another. We can be generous with our money. There are, there are financial needs. Then let's be generous with our money. We can be generous with our time. There's always stuff to do. There's always things to, to, to be involved in. There's places to visit, people to visit. Let's be generous with our attitude. I think in, in preaching these things to you, I'm preaching these things to myself. In, in preparation for this, I, I had to hang my head in shame at times. This call to be generous, it applies to me too and I apply them to myself. We need to be generous with our attitude. Sometimes my attitude isn't what it should be as a believer. Who's, when God's attitude to me has been one of utmost forgiveness. When I've grieved his spirit, what's he done? He's forgiven me, he's blessed me. So must our attitude be with our brothers and sisters. Let's be generous hearted. To one another. Let, let's be, let's be big hearted as you say. We can be mean spirited, can't we? So easily. And especially I think maybe to us older f- folks that are just feeling a bit left behind with, with the technology and everything. Oh, I mean, young generation, they don't know what they're talking about and so on. We can become mean spirited. Let's seek to be generous hearted with God's generosity. Be generous with our family. We can ignore our family. We can be so busy doing churchy things that we miss out on being generous with our family. Let's be forgiving to our children. Let's be forgiving to our parents. Let's be generous with them. These are issues that will involve many people here this evening. 
Let's be generous in our attitude with our family, with our church family. Somebody upset you? Somebody trodden on your toes? Might have been even the people that's the person that's speaking at the front. Then I deeply apologize. I'm unaware of it, but I could well have done through my attitude. Let's be generous in our attitude to one another. Be generous in our attitude to the leadership. How hard they work for us under God. Shepherds of Christ, under shepherds. Be generous in our attitude to the leaders. Be generous with our, with our talents, with our gifts, with our experience, with our skills. Lord, what have you given me to do? Be generous with them. Maybe you're good. I don't know. We, I've got a friend who's, who's very good at practical things. He's so generous with them. When somebody comes up, oh, my heating's broken down. Can you come and have a look at it? He doesn't go, oh, no. He, he's generous and he's known for that. And when you speak to him, how can you do these things day after day, going around people's houses, helping them when they can get a plumber in or something? And he said, well, God has given me this ability to mend things. It's what I do. There's a real generousness in his heart. We can be like that. There is a prosperity gospel. The gospel in some ways has a prosperity to it. We give of our earthly riches, whatever they might be, monetary or in skills or whatever, we give of our earthly riches and we get heavenly treasures in return, treasures that will last for, forever, for eternity. We, we give, as they say, give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose is the famous phrase, isn't it? There is a prosperity gospel, but the prosperity will be revealed when Christ comes again. In his glory and when we, we will be prosperous in God like we've got this, these billions of pounds of gold that David gave will be like little grains of sand compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. I love John Bunyan. I'm going to finish with John Bunyan. He said in his second part of the Pilgrim's Progress, there was a man and some did count him mad. The more he gave away, the more he had. One question before I close. What's your main ambition in life, is it to be rich? Is it to be famous? Is it to be, I don't know, good at what you're doing, the best, whatever you can do? Our number one ambition as Christians should be to please the Lord. And in my study of these scripture passages in preparation for this sermon on generosity, one of the things that, that, that shouts out is that as God's love flows out through our hearts in gratitude, and as our attitude kind of streams that, into our everyday life, as we live as our living sacrifice to the living God, who generously and willingly gives, who does good and shares with us that we might share with others, God is pleased with what we do. Isn't that good? We want to please God? Then be have gratitude. With your attitude, give generously to God and to his people. And God is pleased with that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we acknowledge that, as David did, that all that we have comes from you. Whatever treasures, whatever riches, whatever we might have, even the joy and the peace and the contentment in our hearts comes from you. We live in a world of discontent, but you give us a contentment that is beyond comprehension. Pray for my brothers and sisters and myself here this evening, that our contentment in Christ would deepen and grow, and like that mighty reservoir at Nipersley Pool, so your love would fill our hearts and flood over 
into our brothers and sisters' lives, into the lives of the community round about us, and would return in giving thanks and glory to you. For Jesus' sake, amen.